Hey everyone, I'm Luke, and thanks for checking out an episode of our podcast, Exploring Kodawari. Apologies that I have to keep saying this, but it's been quite a while since we put out our last episode. This, you know, started as a pandemic project, and it's hard to keep a regular publishing schedule amidst the chaos of freelance musician life and other things. But anyways, excuses aside... The podcast is very much alive and we'll continue to put out new episodes. And I thought it would be a good idea to come back after such a long period off with a conversation that takes the podcast back to its roots, to the meaning of Kodawari and how it's changed for us in the three years since we started this podcast and blog. If you're a new listener, you might go back and listen to episode one, which is titled What is Kodawari? to get the full effect. But, you know, it's not Game of Thrones or anything, so this episode will make plenty of sense on its own. Totally up to you. Uh, It is linked in the episode notes along with our very first blog post, which is the written version of what is Kodawari. But basically, the concept of this episode is something like, you know, the idea that deep ideas, deep truths need to be periodically reimagined or re-realized with the freshness of your updated present moment self. For example, sometimes I find myself forgetting even really deep truths, truths that you know I would consider part of my life philosophy. And you're lost in a moment, which can obviously suck in the moment that you're lost in whatever is consuming you. But there's also something really beautiful and necessary about rediscovering certain deep truths in that present moment with the freshness and novelty of who you are now and how you've changed from the past, et cetera, et cetera. And those things, those truths somewhat get updated as you do that. So yeah, that's what my co-host slash wife, Yanka and I tried to do with this episode, briefly revisit the concept of Kodawari with fresh eyes and discuss how it's changed for us. In particular, we discuss the uncompromising element to Kodawari, and how it fits in with a concept I've been thinking deeply about lately that I call skillful inflexibility. We also speak about the importance of humility and the wisdom of Chekhov, seagulls, and the deep wisdom of the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2. You'll just have to listen to the full episode to find out how all that stuff ties together. Anyways, thanks for being curious about our podcast, and I hope you enjoy this episode on revisiting Kodawari. Okay, Yanka, exploring Kodawari is back after I don't months know how long, months. six months. Yeah. So the way this works is this is a microphone, and then yeah. you talk into it oh. from here. Yeah. I see. That's how it works. Thanks for the okay. So I had this episode in the works for a long time as a sort of New Year's episode. And now that it's February, I mean, we just put our New Year's uh, Christmas tree out. So that's kind of how it works, you know, a month month behind on everything. Yeah. Anyways. um, So I wanted to do like a, since it's been so long and since I was thinking about this anyways, a sort of like revisit Kodawari as a philosophy Mm -hmm. in a kind of like maybe every year, every two years, I don't know. We could revisit it. We started it in 2020. It's now going to be a three years ago thing in June or whatever. 
And then I was like, should we do wait till June? I was like, why? There's no rules. I just want to do it now. So um, we're going to try to get back to somewhat of a more regular episode schedule. And I just thought this is a good one. I had been taking notes on this, thinking about uh, kind of like how my view of Kodawari has changed over time and Mm -hmm. life philosophy type shit, all of that. (laughs) So why redo the episode? We're different, right? Yeah. I mean, describe how, what's like a few obvious ways you're different than episode one when we recorded in May of 2020. Obviously all the pandemic stuff. I was going to say like the zombie apocalypse is over, first of all. (laughs) Yay. I mean, I'm older. That's just like the simplest one, I would Mm. say. Deep, deep. (laughs) Wiser, obviously. So I guess I'm asking, how are you wiser? Or, I mean, we don't have to get into it. I just meant like, you know. Three, I mean, it feels like so long ago. It, it really does, yeah. And then I kind of read through my notes from when I was like thinking, you know, during the pandemic, we, I mostly started this, right? And you came along for the ride and I mostly did it because I was profoundly bored and unmotivated and just knew I should have a positive project to work on so as not to like, mm-hmm. you know, dive deeper into the abyss, um, in, in the spring of 2020. And it, it, uh, I was looking at my notes from originally, and then I had been kind of taking notes as thoughts enter my head recently. And a lot of it's the same, of course, but as you encounter new information, as you get older, you sort of like rework your yeah, ideas you and re- start realize them. categories in your mind, basically. Like, at least that's just how it works for me. Like, you start to open up different channels and those channels connect to each other in a different yeah. way. And you find, you find how things are connected, like themes of, like, you know, types of people in life or you, you might learn about a completely new person who, and read their three books in those years, right? Or There's, you explore a completely different side of yourself. Like in yeah. a moment where it's or so you move to a new city or that, which is what we did. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. So, so many things. And, and, and the basic concept I'm circling around here is that I realized that I realized that deep realizations you make in life, you have to like reimagine them. And I, I've almost noticed that this happens on a kind of tempo. Like there's a pattern or a uh, repeatable like flow at which I sort of forget something deep that I used to think about a lot. And then I get stuck and I'm like, oh, gee, I'm stuck. And then I kind of re uh, realize the, the life philosophy thing that I somehow forgot, you know, but it's with a freshness and novelty that um, is more applicable. It's like a better model than what you originally had. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, it could be something simple as like, life is about the journey, not the destination. And you, you know, kind of made a deep connection to that when you were younger. And then like, you're in the middle of something and you're like totally forgetting that. And you're just like letting all these emotions take you over. And then you realize like, oh, wait, ah, yes, I'm solving problems. That's life. It's not the moment when you have no problems to solve. And then that lasts for five seconds. And then you're again chasing for the next thing immediately. Because (laughs) if the new problems don't find you, you create them. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this concept that I heard Joseph Goldstein, the meditation teacher say, which is sudden realization, gradual cultivation. Hmm. 
Meaning like you realize deep things suddenly, like it, a wave of clarity comes over you. Ah, oh, yes, of course, that's whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you actually have to take that. Like life is about the journey, not the destination. Now you have to integrate that into all the other messy programs and whatnot in your mind, right? Yeah. And so as you cultivate something, it changes you. And then as you change, you know, so that's kind of the zoomed out reason why I was like finding myself take notes on Kodawari and I was just mm-hmm. interested to see how it would change. And then I thought maybe every couple of years, I hope we keep this podcast going even at the scale we are now, which is every couple of months, we're busier. It's very hard to keep up with something like this. Plus I always hate putting out content just because you have to like, yeah. I want to feel like I'm pregnant with an idea that I need to put out. So, okay. So what has changed about Kodawari? Um, one big way it's changed would be this concept of uncompromising. Hmm. So I kind of took a beginner's mind approach to it when I was like, when I decided to do an episode like this and in researching like more of the Japanese context of the word one, I found that it was kind of embedded in a larger like umbrella term from Japanese called like Ikigai, mm-hmm. I-K-I-G-A-I. And that's kind of like your reason for living, like your oomph, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this quote was, from an article, I forget which one, but I'll link it. It says, of the pillars of Ikigai, Kodawari is about starting small without necessarily justifying the effort in any grandiose schemes. So I love the idea of like picturing the ramen chef who has no idea who the ancient philosophers who wrote this and said that they're focused on making amazing ramen. Yeah. So I kind of connected to Kodawari in its original roots as like these like uncompromising people that are just really doing something good in this small scale. Yeah. And not, not like changing to, the world. Not or thinking like they're changing the yeah, world. Exactly. Not aware of the world almost. They're just in their world doing something really well. But if everybody did that <laughs> in their own small world, then yeah. Well, you know that expression, aim at heaven, start at home. Mm-hmm. It's like, have that ideal. And we'll talk more about like having an ideal, but like start by making your bed. Like, because mm-hmm. it starts the momentum, right? Yeah, you're and you're make your bed. <laughs> I'm so bad at that. It, you know what it is? When the bed is made, I personally don't get the sort of dopamine hit that other people talk about. It's just like a nothing factor for me. So that's why. Other, you have the equivalent of like make your bed in other like fields of for me it's like if if i clean the kitchen before bed waking up gives me that like extra positive like mm-hmm. start to the day that really does help yeah. doesn't mean i do it it just means i know i should <laughs> i would like to <laughs> <laughs> i mean sometimes we do it really depends on the momentum leading into yeah. how we cook dinner you know like if it was a long day or you know so i this is all about momentum right mm-hmm. And I talked a lot about in our episode one, how Kodawari is like a momentum and, and all that. So I still think of it like that as like an energy and all of this. But uh, the word uncompromising popped up all over the place. So I was thinking about that. Um, 
So I had a question I wrote towards you, which is like, what are you uncompromising about? So Kodowai has an uncompromising element. Like you said, the uncompromising part has changed for you. Meaning what you know how you make ramen, right? Your noodle supplier calls you and says, we're so sorry, we can't deliver noodles this week. Mm-hmm. And you have this other noodle supplier who's just not quite as good. Quite. You, close the, <laughs> you close the restaurant instead of going with the not quite as good noodles and, and you take the, the, the financial hit. You know what I mean? That would be like a random example of, a, of the way Kodawari is uncompromising. It's like, I'm supposed to open my coffee shop at 7 a.m., but I haven't gotten the espresso tasting right yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not opening yet. You know, it's that mm. sort of like. The equivalent of that for us is like, like, which a lot of professional soloists do. Like, I don't sound my best today. I'm not going on stage. Like Marta Argerich is like famous for that. And yeah, they you said need that, like I remember. Convincing and stuff. But anyway. So that would be uncompromising. Yeah. I mean, so what about you personally? It's hard to find something you're uncompromising about, I think, is what I realized when I wrote this question, because most of the things we take really seriously, there is a some scenario where you'll compromise that, right? Exactly. Of course, there's always an end to it. But I would say, like, you know, one concept that I'm very, that is like a prime part of my personality that I would say I try not to compromise is I just actually found out the meaning of this word. Like when I was thinking about this. Which word? Integrity. That's a beautiful word, I think. Like I would say it just really defines me as who I am. And obviously I compromise from it. Like I'm not a hundred percent, but isn't that the point? You never achieve that perfection. So I'm circling around integrity as much as I can. I would say as a person, as a like employee, anything, like whatever I do. That's a really good answer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because you're saying like you're uncompromising, that's the inflexible part. Mm -hmm. But what you're uncompromising for is like a vague enough term that like it's not going to be, you know, tyrannical. You know, like if you're uncompromising about like I wake up at 7 a.m. no matter what, it's like, okay, what if, (laughs) or I go to bed at this time no matter what, this one works better. Like, you know, and someone's like over your house, it's like, you're going to like physically remove them so that you could like, you know, mm-hmm. so to be, un- you should be really careful about what you're uncomp- un- uncompromising about. And yeah. I think, I think that's a, a really good one to very say. Very like, hard question to answer, but I would say like it culturally defines me really well too. It's just like. And your dad, he, yeah, he lives in that way. Exactly. I think that's. Like I've seen him do really inconvenient things to hold true to like a deeper principle that he feels uncompromising yeah. about. It makes you act like you're better self, like your better self in any situation. It can be a, b- a bad situation, it can be a good situation. If you're the p- type of person that has integrity, you just usually are more prone to do the right thing in difficult moments. I in say. the same momentum kind of way. Mm-hmm. And the opposite is true, right? I like that. The what fra- is yours? <laughs> the phrase I heard to describe this balance was skillful inflexibility. If you're flexible about everything, you have nothing, right? You're nothing. You're just, you're a noodle. Speaking <laughs> of ramen. A lot of people are ramens now. That's what I mean. People, <laughs> they, they bend with the sway of the uh, sauce. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they say like some politicians like lick their finger and stick their hand up 
and that's their opinion, meaning they feel which way the wind's blowing and, and go with that. Well, I don't say all about anything, but um, certainly the majority. And yeah, I feel like we're in a cultural period where people are too wiggly in the bad sense. Like, I think we're like, we became more wiggly as a culture in lots of good ways where really silly dogmatic rules, like who can be married to whom and, and rights for this group or that group weren't equal and, and things have been really getting better. That's a way we've become more flexible, right? Mm -hmm. But then in that process, if you're flexible about everything, like founding ideas that make a society work, things can get really tricky. So I love the idea of skillful inflexibility. It's like, be careful about what you're inflexible with, but realize you have to be inflexible with at least a few things. Otherwise you have no integrity. You have no core to who you are. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Oh, thanks. What is, what is yours? What were you thinking? Mm, I mean... Did you, were you able to come up with one? I didn't come up with a, a word like that, but I would say like similar, like something like honesty or truth or love. Like you've heard me say a lot of times that like um, maybe like the two core principles for a human could be like love and truth. And then the interplay of those kind of forms a balance. Yeah. So I would be uncom uncompromising about like... Um, coming back to that idea whenever I really don't know what to do. So which one would you pick if they're competing to competing ideas? Like you would say two of you. In a sort of Eastern philosophy kind of way that will come up as we develop this episode a little bit. Um, at that point, they are the same. It's just like a duality that comes from the same source or so. I don't know. There's something where like, it's not an either or thing. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know. I could be bullshitting right now, but <laughs> so it's all good. Yeah. What am I uncompromising about? Um, I, you know, it, it, I would, I would, okay. Can I tell you what I thought your answer would be when I was like sitting down with all these thoughts earlier? I know how much you value honesty, but even, yeah, even though I said an, that, I think you're, you can be very skillfully what's the word and skillfully skillfully inflexible inflexible yes skillfully inflexible with that but like where do you draw the line like that also cannot i've gotten into some trouble sometimes when i'm like more directly honest than the situation calls for mm -hmm. often just trying to be funny not like confronting someone <laughs> yeah. who did something it's often just letting my mouth like say a funny thought that popped in my head without um realizing what i'm saying and who's there like whatever um, but yeah, you're probably right about honesty, right? But then I also think like truth is a really tricky thing and, yeah. and love and like, so there, so I'm not sure I might be uncompromising about, uh, living in the tension of those two things, like not thinking one or the other is better, you know? Mm -hmm. But I've also heard people say like, it's not that love and truth are the same. It's that love is the very bottom layer and truth serves love. Oh, I like Use that. truth to serve love kind of thing. So mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that's the answer. Kind of like truth in the service of love is always, should always be your path in life. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And then you go, what do you mean by those words? And like, I mean, it gets, I, I didn't want to branch into that. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's snip that. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> branch off before it grows too big. Mm. So yeah, so I looked into more of that um, uncompromising element. I loved the don't justify the effort for a, a grand scheme. I love that idea of like, you can just make some, the place where you are as perfect as you can without um, always having to think like, how does this line up with changing the world? Um, but one thing I have changed on Kodawari is the, the obviously I still connect to the idea that you're pursuing perfection, but you have to know you can't get there. Mm -hmm. And the journey of, of pursuing it is meaningful. But I understand more of why you can't get to perfection. It's not because you see perfection and then just can't get there. It's because who who the hell are you to think you know what perfect is? Yeah, what is perfect? Is there, like, that's just a word that we invented also. <laughs> like, you know, we came up with, like, what does that even mean, you know? Well, I, I mean, That's if you perfect. make it a transcendent word, then obviously it's by definition, it's above you, right? Mm -hmm. Like things like God or capital T truth or whatever. I remember hearing a stoned priest on like a YouTube channel. This guy got like three um, <clears throat> like Catholic priests stoned and then interviewed them. And towards the end, like he asked the one guy, like, what is God? And the guy's like... God is um, all things true, knowing that we can't know all things. Uh. You know, sort of setting up the limitation, like, you know, it's, it's something to do with like the logos of truth and all that stuff, but we can never access all of it at once. Mm -hmm. So, so, so I kind of like connect to the Kodawari thing as like, not that you don't get to perfection, but that you can't conceive of perfection that would mean you fully figured out the meaning of life type shit, you know, mm -hmm. and you haven't. And if you think you have, it's probably because your intellect is falling in love with itself, you know? Yeah. I, oh, I'm going to butcher it. I like really wanted to <laughs> just read a quote that I saw the other day, but it was, it was something what? like, it was, I think a James Clear quote. It was something like the path to success is like, doing what you're doing um like consistent enough without convincing yourself that you're smarter than you are or something like i forgot mm. it sounded like cooler but yeah it had like a ring to it but anyway i just like yeah. thought about that i don't know what made me think about it there, so th th this is circling around the the last section here I'm trying to make this a shorter episode than usual i think we're on track um sort of like as i thought through what we've just spoken about so far, I realized the main factor here is humility. When I first wrote about Kodawari, and I'll leave that article the way it is, kind of like, you know, letting things be what they were when you wrote them. I sort of pictured it more as like everything needs a limitation, like something keeping it in check, right? you're pursuing perfection, know that you can't get there. And now it's more of the humility, like, wait, I don't understand reality enough to say what's perfect, you know? And maybe that's already in the Kodawari term. 
when I said before, like it's about doing something small, local that you can make perfect, not in some grandiose scheme. Um, but I, I, I see it more as like a left brain, right brain thing now. It's like your left brain, the intellect part of yourself um, thinks like, ah, I can make this perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it falls in love with its own projections and it it can be psychotic on its own, basically like stroke patients by them when they have a right hemisphere stroke and, and their left hemisphere is the only like fully functional one, mm-hmm. which is also where most people's speech is. Um, they say crazy things, you know, mm-hmm. like they can't feel their left arm because their right hemisphere had a stroke and they'll say like, that's not my arm. That's my grandpa's arm. They'll make up like whatever story to just justify like that's someone else's arm. It's not mine. It has such a flashlight view, like a focused flashlight view of the world Mm -hmm. that it doesn't see how ridiculous of an explanation that is. It like they, to the left hemisphere, it said something that connected A to B. It didn't zoom out and be like, wait, that's my grandpa's arm. Like, how's that person going to believe me? You know? (laughs) So I think it's like the left hemisphere intellect part of ourselves is the tool to like get the little details done as you like make your perfect ramen noodles. But it's the sort of right hemisphere flashlight is -hmm. the left. The right hemisphere has more of a floodlight way of paying attention to the world. It's very open. It doesn't have that fine particular skill of manipulating things and building things that the left hemisphere does with all its categories and stuff, but it's really good at seeing the big picture. And the big picture is who the hell am I to think I know what perfection is? You know, it's like that thing's way above me. You know, it's that sort of humility of like, there's always an unknown element uh, to my model of what reality is, you know? Yeah, that's what's so fascinating about being a human. Like, there's no end to how much you can, like, grow. It's just so fascinating. And the fact that the intellect, one of its biggest shortcomings is that it doesn't see its own shortcomings, right? Um, Means you just have to be really careful about not letting it take control of you, Mm -hmm. you know? Because then you just start chopping up the world into all these things and you convince yourself they're all right. And you lose sense of that, like transcendent, like something is above me, you know? Do you remember, um, I sent you a clip on Instagram of an actor talking about why he has a tattoo of a seagull on his arm? I sort of remember that, yeah. So there's a play by Chekhov called The Seagull. And it's about a bunch of people who are artist type, you know, whatever, painters, writers. And uh, one of the characters is in love with another one and calls this woman like in Russian, like his seagull, you know? Mm -hmm. And this guy was saying like why he has a seagull tattooed on his arm because where he studied acting in Russia, their like school logo is a seagull. And the, the sort of message of the play for him was, like Kodawari is a seagull, right? Your dream in life is a a seagull for this man. Like his love for this woman was his seagull. Mm -hmm. 
at the end of the play, he kills the seagull and gives it to the woman and says, look how much I love you. You know, mm -hmm. the idea being like, once you killed, like you're, you're following around a seagull and the way it like kind of just goes left and right and up and down. And like, that's you following Kodawari, your transcendent, your uncompromising ideal, you know, mm -hmm. it's an ideal, right? Once you fully define your ideal, once you say, this is perfection, this is God, this is this, it's like killing the seagull. It's not alive anymore. It's not. Yeah, you're missing the above point. You, you're not following it. You tried to intellectually conquer it. You know, killing the seagull was like, oh, my dream is this. My love for you is this. It's like, mm. and now the seagull's dead. It's not flying anywhere, you know. Interesting. Like you can't grab onto certain things. You're supposed to be just following them and, and you know, I think have, have humility towards them. And Yeah. I think generally life is chasing the seagull. Once you feel like you grab the seagull, I would say like you're not on the right path anymore. Right. And yeah. and the, the cool part of the play was that the seagull was like this, I think it's kind of like a dark comedy type thing. Hmm. And the guy ends up killing himself in the end of it. Um, spoiler alert. Do we have to spoiler alert? Like check off. <laughs> check check off. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> One episode you got mad because we were talking about Dr. Strange and like, you were like, you need to spoiler alert, but it was like a four year old movie. Uh, still, I would this say. play is probably from like the late 1800s. So I think we're good. <laughs> um, I haven't, I haven't read the play. I just heard this guy talking about it. Uh, I don't know about it either. But I just, I love the imagery of like, cause you, you've seen seagulls and the way they fly and they meander here and there. And there, there's a sort of way you can imagine yourself following your own North star, you know, mm -hmm. or what does the homeless woman in, in home alone say? They're like in that oh. weird attic above Carnegie <laughs> hall somehow. <laughs> I don't exactly. He meets her in the park. She's the pigeon lady. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And like she's saying goodbye to him at the end of the night after they somehow snuck into the attic of Carnegie Hall and watched a concert. All the instruments dusty. Yeah, they like, were like dusty instruments dusty up there, like bases, yeah. like as if the New York Philharmonic like cello player is like, my cello broke. Get me one of the old ones from upstairs. <laughs> like, <laughs> who are we talking about? <laughs> so at the end, when she's saying goodbye to him in some capacity, she says the line, "Follow the star in your heart." Oh yeah, right. True. I think it's that line, mm -hmm. or something like that, and. I remember we were up at my brother's during Christmas time and I was just like, oh, that's so freaking yes. deep, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like you follow a star, like you would follow a seagull, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like, it's your, like a star, the idea of a star, even though we know they actually can move. But a North star, star, yeah, it shows that. Because of our rotation yeah. is aligned with our North-South axis, right? So that might be like the uncompromising thing, which is follow the star, cool, in your heart, truth in the service of love, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of relationship. Yeah. So yeah, how does, how has Kodawari changed? I think it's more about the humility of like, I can't understand perfection. Mm -hmm. But I have a general sense, like the way a compass works of which direction it's in. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take a step in that direction. Towards that direction. Yeah. My seagull just flew from that little, it was sitting by the water being a seagull. It flew 10 feet that way. I'm going to walk 10 feet that way. Yeah. Oh, look, it just flew back into the marsh over there. Let me walk over there and see what that is. Yeah. You're kind of meandering. And in the first episode, we talked about 
that Carl Jung term, circ- circumambulation, mm-hmm. where you kind of meander and follow your seagull, follow your North Star, follow your Kodawari, your ideal. And even though it seems chaotic and random, when you give it enough time, Jung said, notice that you're actually circling something. Mm-hmm. Meaning like there's a sort of central magnetic pull to the way the seagull flies, to the way the North Star guides you, that you're, you as a local, uh, you know, flashlight of attention can't see the big picture of where you're going, but you're actually circling some deeper concept, even if you don't have any clue that that's happening by just mm-hmm. following your instinct towards love or truth or whatever you found. integrity, as mm-hmm. you said, right? Honesty, something deep like that. Mm-hmm. So before we finish, what would be a 2023 definition of Kodawari? We can end the episode and then maybe in like two or three years, we can try this again. And <laughs> I'd be curious to see how, how all of this has changed. Hopefully not too much if we found something, you know, deep here, but. Yeah, let's think. Um... I mean, I wrote one down just because I wanted to make it. I think mine would be something like, like those instincts, guiding instincts, like Mm -hmm. are usually like guiding me in the right direction. This is like a very personal answer, but I just found like if I stay true to my values, like integrity and other things, then those instincts usually guide me towards where the seagull is going. So follow that. You mean like if you lost your seagull, you're like, I haven't seen him today. Like where the heck is my seagull? Or for a while. You're like, I think he might've gone. He would have gone this way. Like, yeah. He would have. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. It could be a she. Yeah. Jeez, Yanka. I just to kind of like, I don't want to, I'm going to open a branch without going down it. Just like we did earlier. I personally really connect to the things this um, neuroscientist and fascinating guy named Ian McGilchrist has talked about. He wrote a book about the left and right brain hemispheres. And I've probably talked about it quite a lot in previous episodes, but he did a podcast with someone maybe a month or two ago. And it was sort of like, maybe he's getting older and that's a factor, but like he's thinking like, let me make sure I say what I need to say while I can. But it was sort of like a dire warning, like almost like that. Remember that Zen Buddhist monk guy? That's it. Like we're all who had that crazy luck in his eye. He goes, yeah. you don't even know what's coming. I've seen it. Oh yeah. It's going to be radical. But like, and, and I don't, I just had the sense that like when he's on like hour seven of his like daily meditation or something like some vision comes to him and it's almost like dreamlike. Like I, you know, I have like that general sense that like really chaotic times are coming. Yeah. I speak about a lot cause I just, something in my gut feels this feeling like the, um, the foundation of a lot of things is cracked and, and slowly crumbling. And we just don't notice the crumble yet. I mean, psychologically in our culture. Yeah. yeah. So why I felt, um, I don't know, motivated to have this kind of 
what's my life philosophy? Let me develop it, all that kind of stuff. It's almost like I feel like, <clears throat> you know, I live by the ocean and I'm noticing the sky is getting kind of sketchy looking. What do you I'm in like the 1600s, let's say, you know, sometime before weather and satellites and all that stuff. And I just have this sense like a storm's coming. You you want to really like secure the things you care about, right? Yeah, because like in that, when that happens, there's no time to actually think and what things, you're going to do. Happen and, yeah, that's, I know what you mean. Things okay. go from kind of bad to like insanely bad really fast. Most wars are just like tension, tension, tension. Now people are, are dying in a full-fledged war. Like mm -hmm. it breaks out in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it takes 10, 20 years to, to develop. So I just kind of think like going deep into your own psychology and trying to figure out like why you do what you do. What are you uncompromising about? What's your life philosophy, right? What's, what's the thing you value above all other things that, that you should be uncompromising about? And from there, you can kind of work your way up the hierarchy and be like, here's the other things I should do and shouldn't do, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one of them might be like, I never lie. And you know what? You'll get in some kinds of trouble sometimes, like social situations, but you'll also do the right thing in really difficult situations if you have that principle, right? Yeah, fair enough. So things like that, as you work your way up from like a really strong foundation, like Skillfully inflexible. Yeah, exactly. We're just circling back to that. Okay, so I'm just going to read my what I wrote as my 2023 definition of Kodawari, and then we can stop, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, perhaps this is Kodawari in a nutshell as it has evolved for me. You will have a meaningful life if you take on the responsibility of trying your best not to serve getting things externally, but out of appreciation for the process itself. You cannot fully understand the ideal you're aiming for as it transcends your intellect, but full steam ahead. I, like I thought I worded that better. That was kind of <laughs> like, I think I was going to like write that into a more concise thing. Like that was like, oh, as if I was writing it, not speaking it, but like, I guess. Whoever's I listening to it. I guess yeah, I didn't do together. that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else uh, before we go eat dinner? No, I don't think so. We covered everything, I think. So yeah, hopefully we do this in a couple of years when we still have, at this rate, we'll have five more podcast episodes out in the next three years. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. And thanks for listening and bye. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.